Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice. It is so easy to get started with Linode. Servers start at just five bucks a month. We host Changelog on Linode cloud servers and we love it. We get great 24 seven support. Zeus like powers with native SSDs, a super fast 40 gigabit per second network and incredibly fast CPUs for processing. And we trust Linode because they keep it fast. They keep it simple. Check them out at linode.com slash changelog. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Change Logo podcast featuring the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators of software development. I'm Adam Stachowiak, Editor-in-Chief here at ChangeLog. Today, Jared and I are on the Expo Hall floor at OzCon 2019, talking with Eric Holscher, Ali Spittle, and Hong Fook Dang. First up, we talk with Eric about his work at Write the Docs, ethical advertising and their business model, and the Pac-Man role he uses at conferences. Second, we talk with Ali about her passion for teaching developers, her passion for writing, and her newfound love for podcasting. And last, we talk with Hong about her work at Fazasia, the disconnect between America and Asia in open source, and several of the cool open source projects they have on GitHub. And of course, special thanks to our friends at O'Reilly Media and OzCon for making this trip to Portland possible. You got anything uh, new and exciting you want to talk about? You got anything on your mind? I mean, well, we were just talking about open source, sustainability, governance. I mean, you know. The RFC conversation <laughs> con- continuing. It continues. Um, okay. Yeah, and similarly, I, I feel like governance is just like a fractal, mm-hmm. fractal thing that is always like my own community is struggling with it, the Python community is struggling with it, the open source community is struggling with it. Like, well, we just had Brett Cannon on uh, uh, yeah. back in June. Yeah, that was a good episode. Talking we just had uh, Adam, right? We had Adam on last like, week. When yeah. we were just in like a, we were in a hole. <laughs> <laughs> like just the, the open source hole and it's like yeah it's like there's a lot there so. yeah there sure is so as you mentioned we met back at sustain a couple of years ago you've been doing read the docs write the docs psf lots of stuff in the python community for years tackling these problems and really leading the way with the whole eth- ethical advertising ethical advertising pardon mm-hmm. my french yeah um curious what your current thoughts are in the state of the open source world with regard to these things yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, the, the conversation we were just having, which I guess is a, a continuation of the one last week with Adam, is is just kind of that that governance question, right? Where open source basically doesn't have a an institution, right? And we were kind of relating that to how you know Guido was that for a long time in the Python community uh, within the Write the Docs community. I'm currently wearing that hat and trying to transition it slightly away from wearing that. Ha- okay. Not not that I'm. Similar to Guido, right? You're I don't want to send an email that says no, no. I don't want to. I'm not. It's not that I don't want to be involved, but yeah. I think that BDFLs aren't necessarily the healthiest possible of all outcomes. They're they're certainly a bus factor, if nothing yes, else, right? For sure, absolutely. Um, and and just kind of giving people that path to power, leadership, whatever you want to call it, in in an organization is is how you get good people involved, right? And just kind of, it's really interesting in the Python community that we have Guido to kind of guide us through that transition. I think we're quite lucky. Uh, I've been taking a lot of inspiration from him. Um, Carol was there, who's on the, the steering council for Python. Okay. Um, OzCon's cool for that. There's a lot of, yeah. lot of folks around. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. Um, But, you know, and, and thinking about open source as a whole, right? Like, who is the 
or, or what is the institution that, that can really lead us through the, the transition of becoming the, the default, you know, software development stack in the world, the introductions of all these, you know, Fortune 5 companies. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. You know, like it's a, it's, a, it's a big challenge and there's a lot there and, and it's interesting. We were just over at the Indeed booth getting some, 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 lattes. some coffee as you do. <laughs> And we we're talking with Dwayne over there, and O'Brien. Yes, I am, and I mentioned to him how strange it is the the breadth of people that we speak to on the show now mm-hmm. compared to what we did five, ten years <laughs> ago, where it's you know people where you know I I clone their Git repo to find their email address out of their commits and I email them. <laughs> we still do that today. We sure. do that all the way up to you know. It's a hidden secret of Git. Yep. VPs at large corporations that we have to deal with PR and. It's mm-hmm. very corporate and official, and we're covering this much broader demographic, really, than we were before, yeah. and because that's really the the community has broadened when it, quite yeah, a bit. It's, it's an interesting thing where one of the things I, I have meant to write a blog post about forever, but never did, as you know, as you do blog posts, that's why you go on <laughs> podcasts, right? It's because you don't right. have to write anything. You don't have that's to. Right. It's uh, a lot so easier. Right. Um, but basically, right, everyone means something different when they talk about open source. And so we have the open source definition, but everyone kind of has their own vision of what open source should be. They have their own set of priorities. They have their own economic incentives, um, whether personal or you know corporate or whatever. And right. how do we how do we navigate that kind of like we're all looking at this term <laughs> and and we want it to mean what we want it to mean. And, yeah. and with read the docs, we actually have a page in our documentation that's like, yes, we are open source. Yes, our license gives you these legal freedoms, okay. but be- just because, I mean, the big one for us is, yes, you can install this at your company, but our priority is to support our hosted open source version for the community, and the, the core developers of Read the Docs generally are going to work on that first. And if we have time, we might help you with your local install. You're completely legally able to install it. Right. We're not saying you can't do that, but we are saying we have you know a set of priorities as an organization, as, as a human. And that's how we're going to direct our time. And so don't feel bad. You know, if, before you install this, you should probably know that we're not going to support you doing that <laughs> right. because we have other shit to do. Exactly. You know? right. um, yeah. and, and, you know, and, and every organization has their version of that, whether it's written on their website or not, right? There's a set of priorities and, and the, the vision that they have about why they open sourced it. And, you know, those, those different, you know, freedoms or legal rights that we give away yeah. have different resonance with different people and there's it's just so fascinating to me so let me say one of the reasons why i think that's really great that you do that right there on read the docs is because a lot of what we've heard over the years in terms of open source failure stories whether it's burnout on one side or Mm -hmm. manipulation you know whatever it is it's really mostly a story of mismatched mixed help me out miss mismatched expectations How'd you know I was going to say that? <laughs> I know. I know you, man. I know you. <laughs> Easy for me to say. Um, and when you explicitly s- state, like, this is where we stand, yep. right there to yeah. be read and seen by all who are going to use this, well, you're, what are you doing? You're setting expectations, and so it's a lot harder to have that mismatch, and it seems like you can avoid a lot of troubles that way. Well, yeah, and I, I mean, I think the hardest thing is, is understanding what your actual... like. It's the hardest thing to figure out is what you care about. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. and the fact what that we're going to write here. 
as an organization that we were able to do that and, and kind of put something on paper means we have internal cohesion, right? And, and at a, you know, it's like five people. <laughs> like, luckily, we, the five of us could, like, agree on something. Right. And then you scale it up to, you know, the Python community. That would be a much harder thing to do, right? Is like, how do we get together and say, this is, as a community, what we care about? Yeah. Because we're not all going to agree on that set of priorities. And, and the PSF, luckily, we have an institution that could help manage that. And, and I'm not saying that Python should even have a document like that. I mean, we are a much more broad <laughs> uh, organization, of course, but we at least have the institution to kind of shepherd the community through that process to really help be the authority that, that people would hopefully, you know, respect <laughs> the decision if, if we had to make one. Right. You know, Guido being the, the classic example in the, the code side of things. Right. But then you, you l then look a step higher beyond Python or, or open source, and you're like, who is that? What is that? How do we all agree? And I, there were some great keynotes this morning um, from uh, the chef folks, uh, Adam and uh, VM. Uh, I'm going to mangle her last name, but <laughs> um, just about that, like being more inclusive and open source, but then also how do we, how do we move the definition forward? And right. Well, we, so what's the answer right now? Hmm? What's what? the answer to that question right now? We have no idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's a conversation we have to have. Yeah, so is sure. that like OSI doing that? Because we've heard from them as well, and like uh, they have the open source definition. Mm -hmm. Was that where I got in trouble for calling the police? That was yeah. I was okay. I'm, I'm yeah. being reminded now. I was I was basically trying to uh, yes give an analogy of them being the police of the term and and verbiage around open source. Not that it's owned by them, but to enforce it on the community's behalf right, on what open source is or isn't. They have the best, they have the current authority, at least the most in the community about, right. here's a thing that somebody wrote down that right. defines this term. Right, is this or is this not according yeah, to right. these terms that are written down? Exactly, and, and yeah, but open source is so much larger now, like it's so much more than a license, it's a process, it's, I think a lot of what people talk about around, you know, RFC touched on this a lot, right? Your engagement with the community, your willingness to have contribution, people feel really strongly about that part of it, right? Like, yeah. like it's really, but I, now I feel like I'm trying to, you know, say what Adam has said more poorly. Uh. <laughs> so, um, I, I actually didn't, I saw he was on your podcast last week, but I didn't get to listen to it yet. But, uh, that was definitely a good one to check I'm out. Sure it's, I'm sure it's good stuff. For those listening, it's the better war as a for prequel the to the, to, the, uh, to the keynote, though. It's better as a prequel to the yeah, keynote, yeah. in my opinion. I would I, imagine, you know, yeah. I have he, a biased opinion, of course. He only had 15 minutes on stage, though. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, right. like, if you want we the background. Him, he got a full you know. hour with us. Or more, more than that. Yeah, about 75 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, more. So, yeah I think so, that's definitely where you'll get a little. He's definitely put a lot of thought into it lately. Yeah. And it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, for us, kind of as you as you touched on, like the ethical advertising approach was kind of our, our trade-off around sustainability as well, right? Where how do we maintain the values that we have as an organization, but then also make money, yeah. you know, and, and navigating that and having like a, a strong worldview allowed us to, to hopefully get to something that's really a positive outcome and, right. and an example for the community. But that's not... It's not a trivial solution, right? We are leaving money on the table yeah. to build the business that we want to build. And like, that is a set of incentives that some people will not, <laughs> will not agree to. You know? Can, can yeah. you rewind maybe a half click and give sort of the context for those that are uninitiated to write the docs, read the docs, and sure, sort of sure. the ethical advertising and the business model there? Yeah, so, so read the docs is a documentation hosting platform that started around 2010. And for a long time, uh, I was one of the kind of core contributors and, and co-founders, and it just kind of kept growing to, to millions of page views a month. 
Um, but we didn't have any revenue, right? We were just an open source project. We had like Rackspace or, or you know, Mozilla or someone was giving us free hosting. Like it was very bootstrapped. And over time, it really started to kind of burn me out. And I've talked about that a little bit in other, other avenues, just wearing a page. I will say wearing a pager for free for a website like on the weekend, right. <laughs> like I can't go camping because I'm wearing a pager for the my side project that I don't get paid for is like, that's a pretty hard thing and that, that yeah. burns you out real quick. I bet, yeah. Um, and so yeah, we really had to solve this problem of we're effectively a documentation publishing platform. Right. Advertising is the way that you make money in publishing, you know, and and but we didn't want to do what what a lot of the internet has done, which is this kind of tracking-based thing where it's like, we'll put a cookie on your browser and then we'll retarget you and then we'll, when you go to our site, we'll put it on the Google you know, network and then they'll track you around the internet and show you ads and we can pay less money because the website you're on is cheaper than the amount of money that we give you for the retargeting. And right. it's, a, it's a really big arbitrage thing that it actually works out the worst for the publishers. Like the advertiser gets more value, the publisher publisher does less money. Um, so yeah. it's, it's not great. But anyway, it's so you the biggest to do thing. something like that, but in a more ethical way. Right, right. The biggest thing there is, is the the respect to the user, right? Like there's there's so much happening there without any consent. And really we wanted to build something that would allow us to build a business that allowed us to continue to respect ourselves, like allowing me to sleep at night, but right. also then respecting the users. And similarly respecting the the people that are hosting documentation with us, right? Like it's this three-party system where we really want everyone to feel like they're not being taken advantage of. And I feel like so much of online advertising feels a little creepy or icky, and, and yeah. that's really what we wanted to avoid. And so basically, the way that I talk about it is we built newspaper advertising for the internet. Like, we know your approximate geo, right? So we know your country. Right. So we have like a little bit of data about you, and we know your section, like the section of the newspaper you're reading, right? Basically, we know you're like on some Python documentation. So basically, we can target based on content well enough that we don't have to care about who you are as a person, right? If you're in like, you know, the UK and you're reading like a, a Python ORM documentation page, like we can target you with like a Mongo ad or, <laughs> or whatever, right? Like we don't need to know who you are. Right. And we're able to build a business that, that we feel like is still is still, you know, positive and an example for folks in the ecosystem that yeah. you know, we, we really I mean you look at Stack Overflow, there was a, a thing the other day on like why is my Stack Overflow page playing music? Right? Stack Overflow, this tool for developers that should know better, they yeah. definitely know better, is running arbitrary JavaScript from an ad network on the page. And we're like if, if the developers as open source platform owners, if we can't do advertising right, yeah. if we're not respecting our users, then who on earth can we depend on, yeah. right? If we, if we can't show the model, then no one else is going to. And, th and that was really our, our motivation was like, we know the problems. We understand the like weird stuff that's going on with like JavaScript running in arbitrary browsers. And like, if we don't stand against that, then who's going to, you know? Yeah. So. Right. Did you become an ad network then basically? So, do you have a sales team? You know, what, is that like your primary source of revenue? What is it? So what is have, that model for you? It is definitely the majority of our revenue. We also have a paid uh, hosted product. So you can do readthedocs.com. So similar to Travis CI, okay. um, you know, .org is free, .com is paid, private repos on .com, open source on .org. Um, so .org makes money on ads, uh, .com makes money on subscriptions, basically. Gotcha. Um, but advertising, just given the, the scale, has still... It's the majority of our revenue, but What's it is... break out, like 80-20 or... Uh, it used to be, you know, like 90-10. And I think we're actually getting down closer to like 60-40. Okay. Um, so the, the subscription stuff is letting us... The, the money from the advertising is really letting us invest in the product. 
and making the subscription revenue is kind of bootstrapping that side of the business, really. So. I love those ideas of, of offsetting. You know, I think there's a, a spot for uh, promotion and advertising, so to speak, in a publishing world. And I think that's a good spot. I think not mm -hmm. having it as your primary source of revenue is probably pretty smart. Yep. But I like the idea of offsetting, you know, and even letting the audience know, like, hey, if you subscribe or you commit in these ways and, you know, either... I wouldn't say donation, but like some sort of thing that gives them value, some sort of value-based transaction mm -hmm. to offset our need for and reliance upon as supported. Totally, yeah. And we let we let people opt out of advertising um, if they've you know contributed code or you know if you're a, a library that we're using in the in our stuff. You know, obviously we'll just be like, yeah, sure. Like we just won't put ads on it. Uh, the other thing is we let people opt out of paid advertising. Um, so this is a kind of a cool program that we call community ads. So any of our projects can say, we don't want you know paid advertising. And so instead what we'll do is we'll actually show ads for uh, community projects. So a lot of you know conferences that don't have a marketing budget, cool. a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, That's idea. awesome. Yeah, and so we're able to kind of if just like if you don't believe in like the consumerism, at least let us promote you know like a PyCon or whatever or yeah. you know I like that idea a lot. And it's actually do, really good. And we I do like that a lot too. for the regional conferences, especially like PyCon Africa or PyCon Latin America. They have you know the advertising money in that part of the world's not as good generally, right? And they're not as well known. They're first year, second year conferences, and we're really able to kind of help the community um, through that program, which I think is is super powerful. So. It, is the opt out? Um only if there's some sort of exchange, or is it open to anyone? No, you, it's on the little admin dashboard for the project. Uh, we, we do a small guilt trip. <laughs> right. and, and Are you take, sure you want to do this because right. of these reasons? And, and like the, listen to, to this podcast on the change log because right. I talked about it at length. <laughs> uh, right. To turn ads off all the way with like no community ads or anything, you have to email us. Um, but to, to turn off paid ads is, yeah. is totally... It's project by project. Yep. Gotcha. And I so like the idea of the community stuff a lot, yeah, honestly. Cool. It's really cool. That, yeah. that to me, because like we love to help out the community, and it's it's that would give us an opportunity, us personally, the way we do our ad flows in our newsfeed and newsletter and stuff. That if you were the person that said, "I don't want to be, I don't want to have paid ads mm -hmm. on it, and more community ads," that'd be super cool. Right, and you, I mean, you have a reach similarly with the podcast. I don't know, like the ad tech around podcasting is pretty minimal, but like yeah. you know the the IP of people when they're downloading it, and you could totally just be like, "Hey, you're." You're downloading it from a country that people aren't buying advertising. Let's advertise a community project. Let's advertise another podcast. Yeah. Or, I mean, I'm sure you do this already with house ads and other podcast stuff you do. And we yeah. don't have dynamic ad insertion. Oh, nice. No, no, we it's, don't. It's static ad insertion, meaning it's it's done once. Okay, nice. Every show is once and done kind of thing. It's an artifact that, like, yeah. it almost never changes. It, 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 it exists in the world. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. It's just we haven't really found the. This is probably going too much inside our baseball, but. <laughs> We just really haven't found a reason to go dynamic ad insertion. Now, I have, I have heard good things about it. Yeah, yeah. But um, well, there's, there's certainly trade-offs. Trade-offs. Right. And I so mean, we just hadn't felt... I'm not sold on the whole thing. That wasn't a priority yep. for us yet. It yep. might be in the future, well, but I right think, now it's not. And I think it's really about taking the model that works and finding ways that you can use it to, to give back, right? Right. And that, that's really, for us, we, we found that people really cared about the geography, whereas for you all, I'm sure, yeah, it's a different... It's a different type of advertising. It's a whole different thing. And it is. It's less on like, yeah. It's too. It's going too far. It's, it's but just I, going but too I, far. I mean, I think, I think the big. I think the big thing is trying to make sure that whatever you're doing, if there's a way that you can kind of make your users happy yeah. and give the community back something. Well, you know, let me definitely that say that then, because for us, you know, our entire model is listener first. Yep. Right. Like, if our listeners don't like what we're doing, then we're not going to do it. I don't yep. care if we make money doing it. 
Because right. if you a listener are listening to this right now and you're pissed because you're listening to it, <laughs> that's probably not a good sign of us yeah, doing our job doing well. Our, well yep. we want, right? We're not fulfilling our goals. Right. Exactly. If you're unhappy, you know, generally, let's say that generally, you know, obviously we take criticism, but, you know, if you're unhappy because we have a, a lowly relevant advertiser or sponsor or partner that we're working yep. with, then, you know, we want to make sure that we're... Yeah. We're tying in. We want to promote brands that developers should know and trust. Well, and, you know and that's I mean? you're you're tying yourself. You know, like we definitely view advertising as a, a powerful tool, and the people we work with, we're, right? We're not, you know, yeah. advertising some random ICO or whatever. You right. know, like we we there's have pretty some, high standards. There's ethics for, involved. It's right there in the name. Yeah, <laughs> ethical <laughs> advertising. You've heard it here first. Yeah. Or well, second the, or third. I really like the work the Code Fund <laughs> folks are doing. Um, yeah. They kind of took that and and run with it and built a little bit of a network out of it. We're Similarly, thinking about doing the network as well, I think the more people doing it, the better. Like the more non-creepy advertising we have on the yeah. internet, and, yeah. You know, any any market share we can take from Facebook or Google and give to open source is like a win in my book. You yeah, know, we, we got a long we got a long way to go. The <laughs> so. ad kings, man, they they rule it. They, I mean, the the majority, I mean, the majority of the audience buying any ads is yeah. Facebook or Google. Yeah. So I mean, I think anyone anyone giving y'all money, anyone giving me money, anyone giving. Anyone yeah. in this room, you know, that's doing open source money is is much better yeah. uh, for for the ecosystem. You know, we need we need money in here somehow. So, let's talk about the this one idea that I actually practiced last night, and uh, I think you call it the Pac-Man effect or something like <laughs> the, that. The Pac-Man rule. Pac-Man yeah. rule when you're at a conference. So I, I actually read that I think a couple years back on that you wrote about that. I've yep. never heard of this. <laughs> okay, so first time here though, I'll let Eric explain it better. But basically, whenever <laughs> when you're at a at a you're conference, explain it bad, then he's going to explain it better. Eric, you explain it. <laughs> Eric, explain it, please. So the idea is that when you're standing in a group of people, always leave room for one person to join you. It's just like a little baby step you can take towards inclusivity. But to think about it and kind of as a memorable rule, it's stand like the shape of a Pac-Man. So it's very visual, but you're like, you know, Pac-Man has his mouth or its mouth, and it's always a little bit open. And so that's the room for someone to join your group. And when someone joins your group, you know, reshuffle. To gotcha. leave a little space, yeah. and it, it really kind of it reduces like the clickiness yeah. of walking into a room and being yeah. like, I can't join any of the groups. I feel like like it's just. So the backstory here is basically it's like we want to say we're a welcoming event. This was in Write the Docs, wearing my Write the Docs hat, and we say we're an incredibly welcoming event. But it's like, what is that? What does that mean? How do you be welcoming? Like how do like how do I take the idea of welcoming and like execute it in person at an event? Like what do I? What are the explicit steps, you know, and, and we really looked for some rules yeah. to try and make it explicit for people um, to be like, this is what a tiny little bit of welcoming kind of thing, you know, it makes it a little better. And here's like a little bit of a, a, a nudge in that direction. Yeah. And so that was one of the, the ideas and it's really kind of exploded. Uh, I wrote a blog post about it maybe three or four years ago and now it's at PyCon. It's at, I see tweets about it from like Australia yeah. and Europe and That's cool. it's really kind of grown as this, The Pac-Man you know, effect? The Pac-Man Pac rule. Well, I think rule. it's a rule, but That's the effect now that is spread <laughs> is the, the Pac-Man effect. effect. So we are as a rule, but now it's an now effect. Now it is an effect. Yeah, well, exactly. I liked it a lot. It impressed me, uh, and I've been doing it ever since then. Yeah. Because I, I've been there. I've been the person that's tried yeah, to... Yeah, you're like... Everybody do, has. It's like, how do I fit into this little circle? Well, I can't. There's nowhere to stand. So and if there's always the an opening, and the group sort of obliges this known social cue... Mm -hmm. I think that's cool. Reformulates. It's really, right. it's, it's kind of the substrate of, of career growth and networking. And, you know, it's like I've gained so much from going to conferences and meeting people. And, and that's been a huge part of my my professional life and, yeah. and yeah. how I've been able to do what I've been able to do. And, and at Write the Docs, we really explicitly tell people, like, 
you're here to meet people. Because I, I do think it's a, a two, two-step dance, right? The Pac-Man rule is the implementation, but you also have to give people explicit permission. And so this first uh, was really hit me at a conference called XOXO, which is also here in Portland. It's kind of a media and arts kind of independent. I yeah. qu don't quite know how to describe it, but yeah. um, they were like, we are all here in the same room to meet each other and talk to each other. And there might be people that you're impressed by or scared to meet or whatever, but like literally your job here is to meet everyone else in the room. And I, I really took that as the, the courage. It gave me the courage right. to join a group of people when I might not have. Yeah. And I try to give people that same permission in my events where I'm like, you are in this room because you are, you are meant to talk to anyone else in this room. And like, while you're here, you know, break out of your introvert shell, right? And just know right. that is your job. And that like, no one is gonna turn you away. And, right. you know, and then you take the Pac-Man rule and that's how you actually implement that in space. So people, it gives people a little bit more nerve to know they can join that group if they see people standing that way. It's, yeah. it's kind of a social cue that, that people are gonna welcome It's an unspoken invitation, you. really. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a visual cue, it's an unspoken invitation. And uh, I think if you see this spot there, you naturally fill it, yeah. and then you make your own space. You sort of nudge them over and <laughs> you know, make some more room for the next person. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I think it's caught on so much because it's kind of a silly little thing, but I, I actually think it's a little bit yeah. more profound in practice. I agree as well. When I read it, I was like, wow, that's genius. So being the genius who came up with this idea, <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts well, on that? Like, So you've influenced uh, a massive amount of people to be more inviting to others. And so that's that's got to have like a ripple effect that you personally, having been the person to put that idea out there, have been a key player of. How do you um, feel about that? Um, well, I mean, terrible. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> amazing. I mean, I, I think we need more of it, to be honest. I, I look for more things like that. Because um, I, I want, I, I really think it's, it's, Wow, there's there's a lot of ways to answer this question, so I will I will give you the medium length version. Okay, but I, I view I view different conferences and different open source communities as little experimentation labs, similar to states in the United States are all little kind of experiments in democracy or whatever. Right. And the good ideas come out of one, spread to the other ones, and I think that's super important. That's why you have to write about it. Um, but I'm I'm actually the fact that it has been so widely adopted shows that there is a a need for more of it. And so I actually, instead of, I'm excited about it. Every time I see it, I, I get a little bit of pride and, and excitement that those spaces are, are presumably getting more inviting. Mm. But like, it also shows me that there's a need for more of this yeah. because there should probably be some other ideas too that are, <laughs> you know, it's not, this is not the only one. Yeah, Have you considered so. um, buying pacmanrule.com <laughs> and having a, a video of you explaining the rule? So and then sort of a montage of interviews of other people who've been affected by this rule and have now gained careers and community <laughs> and belonging that was never there for them before. So this is why I'm not in marketing. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a whole lot of production I that don't know how to do. a lot of work, and then <laughs> the people who own the trademark for Pac-Man will come and shut you down. <laughs> I actually think they'd love it, they I feel like. Uh, but no, actually, someone on Twitter made a video that I then put in my blog post oh, that, that kind of animates the... It has, like, little little smiley faces, and then when the when the circles close, there's, like, a, a frowny face. and <laughs> um, So, no, someone has been doing a little bit more marketing, and it's got, like, 2,000 retweets or something. And, yeah. Uh, so, so there's definitely a little bit more kind of media promotion going on around yeah. it. So. I, I could just, like, see you being on Good Morning America or something like that, <laughs> or the Today Show. Eric Holscher, <laughs> maker and creator effect. of the Pac-Man no, effect. No one cares about documentation, but this Pac-Man thing, this, man. Yeah, exactly. This guy's thing. 
<laughs> well, see, it's your Trojan horse. When yeah. you get on there, it's you start ex- talking about docs. You know? Yeah, that's right. The importance of staining open sores and, yeah, yeah. you know, the PSF. Whatever, whatever, whatever starts the conversation, the bait right? and switch. That's right. Well, you know what you got to do, though? Honestly, you have to play to your strengths. <laughs> and sometimes, like, you have to drive the fastest car to get around the track, right? I mean, to win. So what's your fastest car? Pac-Man. Pac-Man. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Well, let me real quick add my amen to something you touched upon when you were uh, given your medium answer is that you have to write it down. I've been a one of a handful of organizers of a local JavaScript conference for the last few years, and we're always looking for new experiments, new ideas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in our team Slack, people are always pasting in, like, this conference did this thing, and somebody wrote about it, whether it's the organizer themselves saying this worked or did not work. Yep. Or it's somebody who attended the event and says, this was an amazing little touch, or I felt welcomed because X, Y, or Z. Well, then... You know, those people who are interested in doing good events, they're looking for those kind of things. Totally. And people are attending events. So if you don't write it down or you don't talk about it. Write then, the docs, man. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Did it happen? You got it. Um, so, so I'll, no docs? Did I'll, it do, I'll do plugs for a few things from okay. ideas that we stole from other people that are awesome conference things. One is uh, we call the Welcome Wagon, uh, which is a, a group of people who are longtime attendees. Think of them as like mentors or something. And we have a few different events on the schedule where it's like a, hey, welcome... You know, it's right before the opening. Here's, we're going to do venue tours. And then, like, the next evening, you know, we're, like, before the party or whatever, we'll make, like, just a way to kind of, like, give people friendly faces. Uh, We do a welcome wagon guide that's super comprehensive on the website. It's, like, what should I wear? How do I not, like, get totally tired? And we we do uh, checklists where it's, like, here's how to attend a conference well. You know, talk to somebody new. But also, like, take a break. Drink water. Get some fresh air. You know, like, kind of how to conference well without burning out or getting overwhelmed. Um, similarly, one of the things I love is, I think we stole it from PyCon UK, which we do lightning talks, but what they did is they ended up with two chalices. So the problem is you get lightning talks, and all, if you just do like a list and people sign up, all the experienced people go first, and it's just a bunch of white dudes that know how to get lightning talks, and you don't really get that interesting of, uh, of personalities. Uh-huh. And so what they did is they put two chalices, and so they put a chalice that's one for first-time speakers and one for experienced speakers, and then you just put on a little note card, you'll post it, what your talk is, who you are, and then before lunch, uh, we announce the talks. And we mix up first-time speakers with experienced speakers. We try to kind of get a flow to it. And that really let us use Lightning Talks as an on Because I, I started speaking with Lightning Talks. I was on stage at Google in like 2008 at the first ever Django Con, terrified. Yeah. And Lightning Talks were what got me in that flow. And I, yeah. I'm a firm believer that giving people that opportunity for the first time is, is important. We've grown a lot of people from Lightning Talks to talks to you know, organizers or speaking at other conferences right. or that kind of stuff. And so right. I think that's another really really powerful way to make sure you're getting those first timers on on the stage so those are great so well steal if you're listening steal those ideas <laughs> it's kind of like a, a contributor on ramp it's kind of like a, yep. a speaker on uh, the welcome wagon yeah i love it love it totally so yeah no we have lots of ideas you steal the, steal more of them i should write more of them down so <laughs> is there do a, you have a central place where you've written is there like a wiki of great ideas so we have a we have an organizer's guide for the conference that is like how do you run a welcome wagon how do you run a lightning talk um that kind of stuff that's partially updated uh the, yeah. the welcome wagon one's really good actually it's it? it's probably the thing that is the most influential that you should steal because it's super super valuable so. when is a good time at a conference to do lightning talks because you, you know you have two-day conferences you have Sometimes you have two days plus a day, which yep. is not really a three-day, but it's kind of like an optional third day. So we, we do them after lunch because nobody wants to speak after lunch. 
like like none of the speakers want to be directly after lunch. Right. And so there's like a we use a open talk up slot basically for the lightning talks because they're thirty all, minutes, twenty minutes, how long? We do thirty minutes. Yeah, so we get about six speakers maybe, and we do. Well, we're getting conference inside baseball here pretty quick, but we do 10 minutes breaks between all the talks, which I highly recommend for any event, um, and we're single track. Uh, but anyway, yeah, like 30 minutes, six-ish speakers after lunch, um, both days. It basically is just another talk slot in your schedule. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, Eric, thanks so much for sitting down with us. Uh, yeah, definitely. Thanks for being awesome here. awesome talking with you. And, uh, all right. Have a, good, have a good rest of your OSCON. You too. This episode is brought to you by Keen. Keen makes customer-facing metrics simple. It's a platform that gives you powerful in-product analytics fast with minimal development time. For example, a DIY solution to build out customer-facing metrics in your product could take six months or more. And with Keen, you can be up and running in the same day. The Keen platform lets you stream events to easily collect and enrich your data, compute with embeddable answers, insights, and metrics, access controls so you can design role-based access to your data, and of course, a visualization layer to create stunning charts. And we got a special offer just for our listeners. Go to keen.io slash changelog. Get your first 30 days of Keen for free. And as a bonus, just for checking out a 15-minute demo of Keen's customer-facing metrics, they'll send you a free t-shirt. Go to keen.io slash changelog. Again, keen.io slash changelog. Ali Spittle, one-fourth of the ladybugs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You've been yeah. referred to as one-fourth of the ladybugs? I don't think so, but I like it's it. It's kind of nice, like right? Yeah. So, ladybugs, I guess we should say what start it is. There. Yeah. yeah, start there before I get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, so the Ladybug Podcast is a new podcast that we recently launched. It's about... The tech industry in general, technical topics, but also career topics, and hosted by four women in tech, me, Emma Vedekind, Kelly Vaughn, and Lindsay Kobaz. And it's been a lot of fun to launch it and get it growing and seeing the response. Um, we've done a couple episodes so far. The first one was how to career change into tech, and then we've also been talking about um, how to balance side projects, because we all have a bunch of those, and yeah. then blogging, too. So Yeah. Podcast is a great format, though, right? It's tons of fun. We're on a podcast right now. That, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. definitely. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a fun format because, you know, it's so it's so free to, like, like it's not it's been done for a while now, but it's not like a one way to do it and that's it. There's no rule book, so to speak, right? Right. Yeah. Have you found any, like, certain hurdles you've had to get over to kind of get into it with the four of you? So I think that we've been pretty good about, like, pre-planning stuff really well so that we have a general flow of where we know the conversations are going to head or at least our goals for the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's helped a lot. Um, but definitely the whole technical side of it has been a learning curve as well mm. for how to record stuff and how to make sure that we're mic checking correctly. Right. And all those things have been a big learning curve too. Yeah. What have you settled on in terms of how you get together. We know Emma's over in Germany. Timing, scheduling, all the logistics around a show. It's probably easier with four regulars versus a show like ours where we're interviewing a guest yeah. each time, so there's a lot more logistics, but 
Is there anything specific you've settled on? Like we, it's every day this week or et cetera. Totally. So what we're doing is we're recording three episodes at once. Three is kind of a manageable amount where we're still enjoying recording them at the end, whereas I feel like more than three would get kind of exhausting, but it allows us to have a backlog of episodes so that we're not having to record them right before they're released or anything like that. So that's been working out really well for us and allows us to just schedule one block at a time instead of yeah. an hour a week or something along those lines. Yeah. How do you, how do you choose the topics? We is there a big a fight about things? You know, <laughs> it's like, no, I want this one. Is it a voting process? Is not it anonymous? Yet. We just have kind of a conversation about it. We have a Trello board with a bunch of different potential topics, and then we try to kind of distribute them between career ones, technical ones, and then something else. So that we have, we're kind of attracting all the different audiences yeah. and keeping everybody engaged. So if you were in charge of Ladybugs and you got to pick the topic, you're like, Allie, this is your show. Here's a topic. We'll talk about whatever you want. What would you do? What would you talk about? Probably teaching people how to code. That's kind of become my total passion in different mediums, too. Like, blogging, I think, is a great way to teach, but also in person. And then, in addition to that, the, the podcast, I think, is a cool way to teach as well. And so, I think talking about the different ways to teach people and then the techniques for it and how to keep people engaged and all that. So, that's my real passion and the thing that I could talk forever about. So, um, would love to do an episode about that in the future. What's specifically about teaching code? Like, what's your favorite part of that? I think seeing the light bulbs go off and also see people just love it. Like, the magic you have when you first write code and something appears on the page or you get to build something for the first time and it's like, oh, wow, like, this is actually how this works. This is kind of magical. I definitely had that experience when I was learning to code and when I wrote my first lines of Python and was like, oh, I can tell a computer to do something and it does it. This is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And so I think bringing that to other people and making it as accessible and exciting as possible is something that I just have the most fun doing. You were teaching at uh, a coding camp for a while, right? Was it General Assembly or? <clears throat> yep, yeah. So aside from taking a boot camp or something, somebody brand new, what advice would you give them on how to get started? Maybe just, just with online resources or something. Totally. So I'd say that everybody has a different learning style and identify that first. So do you learn best in a classroom? Do you learn best from written tutorials? Do you learn best from video tutorials? Like what motivates you and what is going to keep you the most interested? Because you're in charge of your learning journey. You're not forced to be in a classroom anymore. This isn't high school. It's, it's up to you. And so do what feels right to you, what makes you feel engaged, what makes you able to understand the concepts and find those resources that really work for you. I think that's the hardest part of being self-taught is there's so much out there and yeah. trying to find the right things. Yeah. I was mostly self-taught myself and um, did have some computer science background in college and also have taught at a boot camp. So I've kind of seen all three and I think yeah. all three do work for different people. And I think just knowing what will work for yeah. you and that's dipping your toes in. Because it's the same with like learning anything. You know, I like to listen to books more than read them, although I love to read them as well. I just have more time for listening, and I get things easier from listening that way versus reading it myself. So it's finding what works for you to learn, whatever process is fitting for you. It's smart. Totally, totally. So if you don't know what works for you, do you just start trying stuff? I mean... I that's, think so. That's kind of development yeah. anyways, right? Like, just try stuff till it works. Yeah, try to build something and yeah. find all the steps along the way to build that thing. 
Some people I think are there's self-starters that don't necessarily need someone pushing them or holding their hand. They can they can go to free code camp and just go through it. And then there's other people that it's like, if I don't have structure in my life, mm-hmm. I just know I'm not going to stick with it. And so a boot camp in that regards or some sort of accountability is very yeah. helpful to get you over those humps. So yeah, I guess the better you know yourself, the better you can get started. But if not, you can try. Start with the fastest, cheapest thing, like yeah. go to free code camp or go online and and just see what you can get going. And then if you struggle with that method, then maybe try something else. I think no matter what, try to teach yourself first because then you know that you enjoy it. If you're trying to invest in like a boot camp or going back to school or something like that, that's a huge investment both of time and of money. And so make sure that you at least enjoy programming first. It may be more difficult for you to learn in your by yourself and doing a boot camp may be a more accelerated process, but at least try to play with it yourself and know that you at least enjoy programming before you invest all that time and money. Yeah. You got to try it first. Yeah. Because, you know, back in the day, I used to, I used to program way back in the day. Like, <laughs> it, it feels like forever ago. And it back actually, in the day. But I mean, I actually used to write Ruby and stuff like that. You know, I never really had done a lot of back end stuff. Yeah. And I never really got good enough at it to do it full time. So I was always on the front end, you know, design, UX, stuff like that, product development, product direction. You know, but never the best with software development. Although I was decent at it, it just took me a while to really get a groove, and I never really got one that actually made me, in quotes, a software developer. Well, who gets to call whom a software developer? Yeah, Uh, uh, (laughs) totally. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Which could be a whole conversation on its own, right? Yeah. Which has been a conversation recently, you know, online and on Twitter is how do we label these, you know, how do we define ourselves? How do we label these things? Yeah. What's really programming? And uh, I'm just here to tell you, bro, you're a software developer, all right? That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. You're not an imposter here. Well, uh, speaking specifically about, I know, you know, like uh, language writing, you know, that's just not where I camp out these days, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm not saying you do. I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying that we tend to, we tend to diminish our own work, our own skills. Mm-hmm. And there is... There is a, a sentiment of gatekeeping and, I don't know, greater than, holier than, not holier than now, but there's like a real programmer versus like some sort of fake programmer thing that right. goes around and it makes us second guess who we are or what we can do and I just don't want you to do that. It's not, uh, it's not a healthy thing, that's, <laughs> that's for sure, for me or for the community. No, it's not. No. no. Um, but sort of that leads me to a, something I was thinking in terms of teaching and learning. Uh, a debate we've kind of had a little bit on JS Party and we talk about a lot is like where do you start technologically for, with beginners just speaking of web development specifically so there's uh, you know there's the layer cake idea where it's like you teach me the HTML and then you teach me CSS and then you teach me JavaScript and then go from there um, and then there's kind of the more pr- maybe practitioner like we'll just mm-hmm. pick a JavaScript framework which you can get hired for, or you know, has its name in a list of you know jobs. Like, learn just learn React first. Start with this thing that you can use right away, and then you'll backfill the underlying technologies. I just wonder if you have opinions on this. I definitely have opinions on this. I started off mostly in like Python and doing backend stuff, and my second language is C plus plus, and then was kind of thrown into web development and doing it on the job for the first time. 
learning it while doing it. And so yeah. I learned React probably way sooner than I should have. And I really wish that I knew the fundamentals a lot better because React is just JavaScript. It's not anything magical or anything like that. But if I had known that, for example, uh, classes were built into JavaScript, not React, then I think that that would have been empowering big and <laughs> that would have been much, big to know. much more helpful yeah. although i was also learning at the time when it was like yes yeah, six was just coming out and right. so all the documentation was changing for that but yeah I, I really think that you can't go wrong with learning the fundamentals because html css and javascript are evolving but they are pretty stable and a lot of the fundamentals stay the same from uh time to time and then these frameworks there's one that comes up and you know, React has maybe won the framework battle to some extent for now. You know, Vue yeah. and all the others are awesome too, but React is probably the, the dominant one right now. Um, and so it's definitely worth learning, but I think learning the JavaScript fundamentals will only make learning React easier down the road when you try to learn React. Yeah. I think specifically with HTML and CSS, not only is it that they're pretty stable, but that all of the advancements are additive. Yeah, you know they're they're adding to the languages, they're adding elements, they're adding you know selector style, they're adding technologies on top, but that doesn't obsolete any of the existing things. Totally. So it's not like you're gonna JavaScript on the other hand, like styles move on, you know callbacks are out, async await is in, that's not additive. That's I mean it's an additional technology, but you know what I'm saying it's gonna it's replace different. the style. Yeah. Yeah. And so you feel like you have to relearn certain things, but especially with the HTML and CSS layers, it's uh. <laughs> It's pretty safe. What do you think about this idea in terms of, uh, you ever watch a movie and you get the ending first, and then you watch the movie? You know, they, the, like the movie begins Tarantino with the ending. Tarantino style? Right, Tarantino yeah, style. Pulp Fiction. It's almost like that with software developers. You almost want to show them, here's what, here's what we're going to build. Here's the, here's the dream yeah. world possibility thing, and we're going to start here. You almost have to like show them you know, uh, the land of fruit and honey or whatever it is. You know, and what's, what's, what's Milk the, and honey. Milk and honey. Fruit and honey. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Fruit and honey, milk and honey, it's all the same. But, you know, you got to show them sort of where you're trying to go and totally. then say, we're going to begin here. So that way they can sort of see the, the car before they start putting together some nuts and bolts that make up the alternator, for example. Yeah. One of my Unless you drive an e-car, of course. Old bosses told me my favorite thing ever, and that is, like, the biggest moment as a software developer is when you know that you can look at any site and know that with enough time and education, you could build it. So not that you could build it right now with your current knowledge, but know that you could teach yourself the things that you would need to know to build that thing. And so uh, that, I think, is so true that there's a moment where it kind of clicks and you're like, yeah, yeah. If, if I had enough time and if I had the right resources, I, I could teach myself to do that. Um, you can't do everything, obviously. You'd have a team, right. but you could teach yourself how to do these things. So. I think that that's really true. Absolutely. I, uh, uh, something I used to say is that when I taught, because I taught web development for a couple of years, and I, I would tell my students that I want them to become intrepid, which means like from like right now they're timid and there's they, they don't know anything and you're, you know if you're bold at that point then there's a problem right yeah. like misplaced zeal. Um, but what I want I'm not going to get them all the way, but I want to get them to a point where it's kind of like the same exact sentiment like they have the enough skills to have the confidence to, to think they can build anything, right? Yeah. And like that'll, that'll get you places. Yeah. Kind of Ambition. like just good enough to be dangerous yeah. is fine for now. Like that's mm -hmm. a goal. And once you're at the place where you can look at a website and say, I could build that, 
even if maybe you're naive enough that you probably maybe you couldn't build it by yourself, <laughs> yeah. but you think you could, that's a pretty good place to be and to build upon that. Well, well most great things are built by visionaries, and that's what that is. It's a visionary aspect. It's like you gotta, See you gotta, yeah, you gotta have some sort of self assurance that you don't have the skills or all the resources to get somewhere, but that it is possible. And with yeah. the right, you know, things aligning, you will get there. Or you could get there. Totally. And that's what enables dreamers. Yeah. yeah, and teaching people to teach themselves too, like teaching people how to read documentation, teaching yeah. people how to break problems into smaller problems, and all of those fundamental things that are so much more important than any one piece of a language or any language in itself. Yeah. Because all these technologies change, and the one thing that stays consistent is the ability to learn those new things when they come out. Mm. The human element. Yeah. What's uh, what's missing then? So if we have a world where there's a lot of opportunity in software, right? In all areas, what's missing to get people in? Well, that's a good question. I think that the way that we teach code right now isn't super accessible and every type of software education is missing something, I think, to some extent. For self-learners, it's having the right resources there because they're all out there, it's just finding them. And also the other hard part with self-learning is that you don't have anybody to check you. You could be teaching yourself something totally incorrectly and you wouldn't have any way to know that for the most part. Yeah. Um, with boot camps, it's that it's an accelerated format and you can't learn everything in 12 weeks. And so some fundamentals may be missing there. And then with computer science majors, for the most part, a lot of the skills that you're going to be using day-to-day -day on the job, like web development, aren't super focused on. And a lot of the why tends to be missing, at least for my computer science education. I was so confused as to why we were learning C++ because um, lists were built into Python and I didn't understand why you'd have to build a linked list because, right. you know, there's already a better programming language out there, <laughs> which just, it isn't actually exact, how that works at all. But. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that there's something missing with all these things, but I think we could make it better. And I think that also teaching people how to code earlier in like elementary or middle school would be so incredible because yeah. those problem-solving skills that you need for computer science and for programming in general, even if you don't become a programmer, are so helpful to making you think in a different way. And the world is based off of technology now. It's an awesome skill for anybody to have. So. Yeah. That's something that is my kind of soapbox issue. You know, the youngsters see things differently, too. And I'm always surprised by how I'm 40. So the younger yeah. generation is pretty much anybody under 40 for me. Uh, but I'm always surprised by how that younger generation can see beyond the forest and see some cool stuff because I'm so, my, my limitations are built by my experiences, right? And so yeah. kids sometimes are just so bold. Oh. You know, and uh, I love that about that young age. Totally. At I the think same it's time, though, it's sort of dangerous to get them in so early because, <laughs> you know, it is sort of addictive. They'll take you know? our jobs for yeah, us. They'll take our yeah. jobs. <laughs> well, well, the job security, nobody else should learn this stuff. <laughs> well, no, no, <laughs> no, not at all that. Those More so, <laughs> you know, well, getting into... learn how to podcast, will be safe. <laughs> <laughs> True. Very blog post, yeah. I mean, more so to getting into the things they'll have to do as an adult too early. Like, really enjoy those younger years because yeah. you only get them once, obviously. Oh, totally. yeah. You know, so don't... Don't lose the sight of keep the fact fun. that yeah, keep yeah. it fun. Don't make it you know where you've got to go and get a job tomorrow. But oh, I think it's really important to learn early. Just there's a fine line of like totally. how to best and I put that into. I think life. there's so many awesome ways to gamify learning, especially for that age group. Like oh, yeah. Code.org yeah. has these incredible resources that are teaching code through games, and then also just integrating into math class, right? Because if you're teaching algebra. 
variables and functions are in algebra too. And so if you're teaching people how to code, that's a really tangible application of algebra. So that's kind smart, of a fun yeah. th way to integrate that. I like that. Yeah, I mean, you, you almost accidentally teach them. Yeah. Yeah, and do it just more cool. explicitly. It's like, well, that's, that's a programming language? That's coding? Oh, wow. Yeah. Because then it also like makes it so accessible too. Totally. The, the barrier's gone. No more hurdle. Yeah, you'll actually use this algebra later in your, your life. <laughs> I can remember being in algebra thinking, I'm never to use this in my life. <laughs> I like the idea yeah. of accidentally teaching something. Like you walk in a room and trip and you're like, just like yell a variable name out or something. Like, whoa, I taught you variables. <laughs> I didn't even mean to say that. X equals three. You're so funny, man. The accidental learning, accidental teaching. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Love it. Well, let's talk about dev then since you're... When we first met you, it was pre. It was at least me pre -dev. When, we, when we had that conversation. It was before you went to dev. So, what are you doing now? Yeah, so I am a software engineer and developer advocate. So I write code for the code base. It's an open source code base, so anybody can contribute. But I do a lot of like front end development. My favorite thing with writing code is doing kind of experimental art and code stuff. And so I built like their offline page, and you can draw pictures on it, which is really fun. Um, and so. That's kind of what I do on that side of my job, but then I also come to things like OSCON and speak and um, write blog posts and all those things too. So, Are you speaking at OSCON? Yeah, I spoke yesterday about how to blog. How do you blog? <laughs> That's a good question. Good question. How do you Still blog? figuring it out. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, seriously, how do you blog? <laughs> no, seriously, tell us. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, there are so many different stages of it. First, it's just get, writing something down. Like, I, I, my rough drafts are so gnarly. Nobody should ever look at them. But just overcoming writer's block and putting something on that page and then uh, editing a bunch of times so it actually makes sense to a person and trying to make it so that multiple learning styles can understand it. So putting... Uh, things like code pens in there or replets so that people can interact with the code. Yeah. Um, and then from there, adding graphics to it, making sure that your text is broken up so it's not just like an essay that nobody wants to read. There's different headers that people can jump to if they're only interested in certain things. And then um, once you hit the publish button, which is a hard step in itself, it's getting the content out there, which I'm sure you all yeah. are pretty experienced in with the, the podcast because it looks the same there. But there's a lot of things that you can do in that regard of using social media, search engine optimization, and then also cross-posting. And cross-posting is one of the ways that I really gained an audience. Um, I started with actually writing just on Medium. Didn't gain really any traction there whatsoever. I got 36 readers my first post. And then found Dev2 on Twitter and... Started cross-posting to there as well. And even when I built my own blogging platform, I was still syndicating it to those different sources. Use a canonical URL and you'll be good. Yeah. It'll actually boost your own SEO. And then um, that makes it so that three different audiences were seeing my writing. And then they would follow me for my next posts. And that's how it kind of grew. So, mm. yeah. There's so many stages and so yeah. much advice on, on blogging that I could give for... Yeah, everything from, like, coming up with the ideas to actually you know, the, the necessary steps to massage it into a real post that people actually read. Yeah. And then not only that, something worth reading, but how to actually get their attention enough to read it. Totally, totally. So it's much to it. Such and magic. And then when they actually do read it and then they want to tell you about it, there's a whole other stage of feedback. 
which can be solicited or unsolicited. Solicited or unsolicited. <laughs> <laughs> nice and rude. Yeah. So it's like, oh, it's like the one problem is nobody reads my words, and then the other problem is everybody reads my words and doesn't like how I wrote them. <laughs> they don't like my words. Always an adventure. Always an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know, the good thing is that, well, good or bad, is you can't please everybody. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Get totally. over that. I, I think that it's decently not easy, but it's not awful for me to deal with like technical critiques because I'm like, oh, I can improve that. And they happen actually pretty infrequently, especially because I write mostly beginner content. So it's stuff that I know really well. And so a lot of the technical critiques don't come out. And I think for me, I get more like critiques of me as a person, which is a little bit weirder to deal with. Um, It's harder to deal with those things. What kind of personal feelings are you putting into your blog post? You're talking about your... (laughs) Sometimes. I definitely put like my personal stories in there, but I sometimes have people who are like, oh, she's too young or she just like isn't experienced enough and it's like well I've been a software engineer for like six years so yeah. I mean if I can't write it then who, who can talk about I, gatekeeping how long do I have to be here <laughs> yeah. before right. I write exactly. something yeah. that to be 40 Jeez. years like I don't I don't understand but anyways people are weird that's what so the way I approach criticism is anything that I can actually change for instance a technical problem or yeah my fear is just to be wrong. Like, I just don't want to be wrong. And so, uh, and I am on a regular basis. So, like, oh, totally. that's hard to deal with. But if I'm wrong, I can learn and change, right? Yes, definitely. But if you get criticized for something you can't change, like, you haven't been here long enough, it's like, yeah, well, I well, sorry. just stop writing or <laughs> wait, five, uh, what is long enough and who decides, right? Yeah. Or your age or your sex or your color. All these things, like, these are immutable characteristics. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, so, like, that criticism, yeah. just brush your shoulder it's off, right? Haters. Them problem, not a me Haters problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. Exactly. Totally. Cool. Anything else we should talk about? <laughs> <laughs> How to edit out portions of podcasts. I can let you all get back to doing doing booth things, too. Well, thanks for sitting down and talking with us. Uh, how can people find you online? How can they listen to Ladybug, etc.? cetera? Uh, totally. Uh, so I'm a spittle everywhere. Twitter and Dev2 are my two main platforms. And then Ladybug Podcast is ladybug.dev or anywhere you listen to podcasts. There you go. Allie, it was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by TeamCity. TeamCity is a self-hosted continuous integration and delivery server developed by JetBrains. Millions of developers every day are already using JetBrains IDEs, and now there's a powerful CI/CD solution from the same company. TeamCity lets your team deliver quality software faster. It is super smart at running incremental builds, reusing artifacts, and building only what needs to be built, which can save over 30% of the daily build time. For example, JetBrains uses TeamCity internally, and its optimization saved them over six months of compute time each and every day. The professional version of TeamCity lets you run up to three builds in parallel, and it's free to use, even for commercial use. For large organizations, JetBrains offers TeamCity Enterprise, and our listeners get it for 50% off for a limited time. Head to TeamCity.com changelog, and all you got to do is use the code changelog50 at the JetBrains store. Again, that's TeamCity.com changelog. Well, Hong, thanks for so much for sitting down with us here. We're at OzCon in the Expo Hall. 
and you're speaking. Yes. What are you speaking about? I'm speaking about uh, the story of Force Asia. Okay. Our history, how did we scale and sustain the open source development over the last 10 years? Wow, 10 years, that's a lot to cover in how long, what do you got, 35 minutes or? Uh, I think I think I have 40 minutes. 40 minutes? Yeah. 10 years and 40 minutes. That's quite a task. Tell us, I've never heard of FOSS Asia until 15 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So help us out, tell us the story. So FOSS Asia, basically a network of people from everywhere, not only from Asia, who cared about open technology and who want to make the world a better place with open source, uh, open collaboration okay. uh, and sharing of knowledge. Yeah. So, so, so we ba- we are based out of Singapore. Okay, Singapore. Uh, yeah. So, uh, we are one of the biggest open source organization in Asia. Well, I just think it's kind of a shame that one of the biggest open source organizations in Asia, and I've never even heard of it. That is the reason why I'm here. That's why you're here. Yeah. Well, we're good, glad good. you're here with glad us. Glad to have you here. And yeah. we'd love to hear more about it. So it's based out of Singapore. I mean, what what do you all do? Uh, so we develop software okay. and hardware. Um, we have a number of portfolio projects that are coming out of the Force Asia community. For instance, the hardware device that I showed you earlier, uh-huh. this is called the Pocket Science Lab. Basically, it is a USB power device that helps you to measure all kind of all kinds of things, and it have uh, people to do science experiment. So okay. you have the oscilloscope, weight generator, logic analyzer, um, power source, uh, many other instruments into one single device, and everything open source. So we have the schematics of the hardware, the firmware, everything available on GitHub. We build our own um, Android application and also desktop application. Cool. So does FOSS Asia have, is there physical get-togethers? Is it all online? What does the community actually look like? That you uh, So, uh, the network of Fox Asia, we have about 35,000 active uh, subscribers. 35,000? Yes. But That's huge. So, so, that is including developer, designer, uh, organizer, like regular user. But when you talk about the developer community, we have at the moment 3,900 people on GitHub. Um, of course, not everyone super active every day, but yeah. but we have like pull yeah. requests coming in almost every day across our our projects. Yeah. Wow. Why do you think we haven't heard of Foss Asia before? You know the connection between uh, the, the, the conversation I have earlier with people when there is an op- opinion saying that okay, so we need to uh, talk more to the Chinese because they don't o- do open source or they right. uh, don't contribute to open source. This is actually not the case. It's not true. So, yeah, so open source uh, like fairly developed uh, in 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 China or a lot of places like Asian community build mm-hmm. our build their own projects similar to us. Yeah, it could be because we are still quite young. We've been around for. For ten years, yeah. uh, so, 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 so I don't know. Like uh, when I'm here at OSCON, I saw quite a number of faces. For yeah. instance, if I go around here, a lot of the of people here are, um, how you say, uh, they came to the Force Asia Summit before, so okay. they are aware about it. And yesterday, when I was, um, uh, how say, queuing up. Uh, in the exhibition hall, somebody came to me and say that uh, her friend actually knowed about the Pocket Science mm. Lab project. Yeah. Interesting. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. It's an interesting uh, dichotomy between the United States or other countries and China. Primarily, I would say around maybe the Great Firewall, so to speak, this sort of like, yeah. you know, I'm not sure if it's cultural if it's or if it's political, but something stopping 
everyone in the country from participating the way that I guess maybe everyone else does? The freedom, so to speak? What, can you speak to that? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't really get the question. Well, the, mainly, I'll, I'll explain it differently. Mainly to the gap that, um, the reason why we don't hear from, yeah. there's a language barrier, there's yeah. there's a lot of other hurdles that are in the way yeah. of you know our awareness of how ubiquitous open source is or contributions are yeah. in Asia. So I think it's also very much to do to the culture side of uh, Asian people. So mm -hmm. I cannot generalize for everyone, but as you know, um, we do things, but we are so not so good in terms of marketing or our, uh, or our outreaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, so I understand in the Western culture, when you do something, you need really know how to um, uh, to make your project uh, visible to to people. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is something that we constantly working on. Yeah. And and and, and uh, we also try to go out to different conferences. Like we went to Fosdam in in Europe. We also go to different places. And this is my first time here at uh, at Oscon. I also don't see a lot of Asian project that available here. Yeah. So, so I'm one of the lucky one because I got um, involved in the community. So I heard about OSCON, but I don't believe that all the people in Asia also heard or know of the, the conference. Yeah. Yeah, or, or the community here. So there are always uh, the, the, the missing connection between different continents in terms of yeah. physical space or in terms of knowledge sharing. And this is one of the main purpose of Force Asia. We want to be the bridge. We want to connect uh, America and Asia. We want to connect Asia and Europe, yeah. uh, Asia and, and Africa. So, so, our, so our goal in the ecosystem is to be the connector, to, to be the coordinator and the, the person in between that uh, bring different communities together. Mm -hmm. That is our stand in, in the ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that the internet flattens everything out, access, in terms of once you have access to it, right, we're all on one shared namespace. We're all right. on the internet. But yet, we still have all these real-world barriers between the people who are, who have access to each other, but don't know that the other person exists because of the ocean between us, or because of language barriers, or because of cultural differences. And so, there tends to be these silos of communities, just because of the natural way that we, that we live. And, um, I'm curious what what would a better community look like? Um, let's say FOSS Asia and your efforts to bridge the gap, you know, over the oceans, so to speak, worked. Like wh ten years from now, you did it, uh -huh. and we're now connected. What would that look like? Would there be events that are attended by all? Would there be bigger social networks around software? I mean, I just want, curious what that would. Maybe more collaboration? Yes, so exactly. Uh, so I think uh, your point is very important. We need to manage somehow to bring people together. So that's why we've been running one uh, conference similar to OSCON okay. uh, in Singapore. It's called the Force Asia Summit. Fast and Asia this Summit. year was our 10th anniversary. So it happened every wow, year in Singapore years. in March. This is 19 for OSCON, I believe, 19 yeah. or 20 years. Yeah, that's what I heard. I, I don't Around know. Around there, how something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So we are still very young. So, but what we try to do every year bring different communities together at the Force Asia Summit. So we have also similar uh, participants 
like what you have here, a lot of speakers who come to OSCON also come to the Force Asia Summit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the reason why we, I know that, uh, you know, it's very difficult to have a huge conference uh, where you can have all the people getting together because yeah. when it gets into a certain scale, it's not as nice anymore. How can you like right. connect with people if you go to a conference like 15,000 or 20,000? It's like a mob. It's not like, a community. It's, yeah. yeah. It's a huge So, so the community continues to also so our project, we have... Uh, the conference like the Force Asia Summit, but, but we also have smaller conferences throughout the year. We're going to have one uh, open tech summit in, in Bangkok um, in the beginning of October, October 1st and 2nd, and we have another one in Shenzhen, China, at the end of November. Mm. So we try to do also smaller events throughout the year. And then in March, every year in Singapore, the bigger conference. So we try to create um, as many opportunities as possible for people to get together face to face. Well, there's one aspect that I would say of Asian influence or community that has start I've seen from my perspective increase mm -hmm. in the last 18 months. So we have a automated newsletter called Changelog Nightly, and it uses GitHub's activity and the, those things stored in. Uh, in BigQuery to basically just surface the most the most active or starred repositories for in the last 24 hours and it, it sends out every night and so you just see like what people are starring and what they're working on on GitHub and in the last 18 months the number of repos that are non-English descriptions so we include like the name of the repository the link to it and then the the description and the, the number of non-English repositories has skyrocketed recently, um, so much so that we've added a little translate button next to the description to go back and forth between whatever language you happen to be reading it in. And so I've seen like a groundswell of open source, uh, mostly I think Chinese uh, language repositories happening on GitHub. And so that's been my main uh, contact with the Asian side of the open source world is really seeing those things get popular. Yeah. And so there is some movement there. You mentioned you have a, a group with 35,000 people, about 3,000 on GitHub. What are some of the projects that are coming out of FOSS Asia? Uh, you mentioned the hardware stuff, software stuff that yes. people can get excited about. Um, uh, right now, we have something that's similar to Eventbrite. We are an event organizer. As I mentioned to you, we, we run like multiple events throughout the year, yeah. and we've been searching for an open source solution that help our uh, uh, purpose, right? And uh, we see a lot of people now using Eventbrite. Yeah. So we develop a solution called Event Yay, Event Y-A-Y. Yeah, Event Yay. Yes, Event Yay. I like yes. that. And, yeah. It, it's got a good ring to it. Yeah, it, 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 it is entirely open source, and you can uh, have it hosted on your own server. So give the freedom to uh, to, to, to the people. So you don't have a, a middleman awesome. who control the data. And uh, we offer a lot, a lot of features and functionality that's similar to Eventbrite. So basically, there is a payment gateway. There is a registration QR code scanner, and we even have the scheduling system where you can call for speakers and and you can uh, generate a schedule for your own event. So we use it for the Force Asia Summit yeah. and we also have um, a number of open source conference uh, running uh, the event, uh, running the our system, so you can say it again. So what's it called? Event Yay. Event Yay. 
She said that already. She what's, the, what's the, sorry, I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Um, what's the URL for it? Where, where could people go to find it? What's it where's it out on GitHub? Uh, so it on GitHub, there's the source code, but we also have the customer version, eventyay.com. Okay. Yeah, eventyay.com. And we eventyay.com, y'all. Uh, you can also it find it on Android, uh, on the Play Store. Mm. You can find it on the Play Store, yeah. Any uh, any plans for a, a one-click app with DigitalOcean or, you know, uh, Docker, make it easy, run around? How's it work? What's the setup process? Uh, I don't understand the, the process of... of um, like, to get started, since it's open source, to run the server yourself, uh -huh. what's a, a speedy way? How do you get started? Uh, how to get started? Uh, we have very good uh, deployment documentation available on our repository. Okay. So follow the step there. It's, uh, I think, uh, what is it? So, um, oh, I need to, to think about the, the technical side because I'm not like deeply involved yeah. in the project. Uh, we try to also uh, have it implemented in Kubernetes. Um, but at the moment, is it running on Docker or, or, or something? What is the name of that? Um, Maybe a Helm chart? Yeah. What's that? Helm chart. <laughs> Uh, I can. I can I'm just look over here it up. She's too nice to say RTFM. Uh, I can look it but, up. Uh, you deserve it on that yeah, one. I can kidding. look it up right now. That's <laughs> no, okay. Yeah, uh, but but I can talk about another software project. Yeah, tell us about another one. Yeah. So that is. Uh, so we uh, build something. Uh, we call it the smart speaker. So similar to. Um, Google Home or Alexa Echo, uh, but run our own software, Suzy AI. Suzy AI. Suzy AI, yeah. I've heard of Suzy AI. S-U-Z-I-E, like her name is Suzy? Yes. 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 That's very cool. Yes. So, so that's coming from you guys. Yeah, it's coming from us. Yeah. Have so you tried it out? No. No. I'm afraid of all of all sorts of things. Yeah. There's no Alexa and no Google Home <laughs> in my home. Yeah. But so, this, you don't have to be afraid of it because Amazon's not powering Suzy. So how does Suzy run on your own server then? Yes, also run on your own server. And um, uh, so uh, uh, the infrastructure side of, of, of Suzy. Uh, so we have uh, a web application. We also have an Android application. Uh, so the core is the, the Suzy server. So this is the back end of, uh, of the AI. And we also have a knowledge, um, how you say, um, it's called the uh, uh, Suzy Knowledge Database. So basically, uh, power through a lot of open ABI from the internet that you can get the, the, the question in for, um, for, for the AI. But we also have something called the Skill CMS. So similar to Alexa, where the community can contribute action, can contribute skill into uh, the system. And we have similar thing. Awesome. Like, um, like Alexa CMS, we have Suzy CMS, Skill mm. CMS. Yeah. Susie, play the change log. Yeah. Oh wait, somebody just. <laughs> oh, my Susie just. <laughs> my Susie just, just started playing the change Susie. log. Yes, and uh, we also built a hardware a speaker. So our Raspberry Pi. So we have our own uh, speaker could could uh, power by by Susie. Yeah. Wow. So at the moment we're focusing on. Um, making a very good skill for playing music. So as you know, the Google Home or Alexa, you can ask like this one kind of question, but we also like find that the issue where you, you want it to play music, they always give you, okay, you need to have a premium account of different service. So you don't have the freedom of, of choosing the service that you that, that you like, but yeah. the provider actually push the service to you and, 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 and we like force it independent and, and you don't have this kind of dependency on different providers. That world scares me, honestly. The whole, because you're a luddite. Well, 
Well, no, not so much. I mean, I, I just see a lot of the. <laughs> well, you, just in the last couple of weeks, I've seen Google has um, has admitted to storing and listening to stuff on Google Home, for example. Amazon has they admitted to audio storing this audio for Alexa. long term. And I just think about all the weird implications of that. And I'm I don't mind Amazon as a company, I but say at my house, you know. Well, just you know, you never know what you want to hide from the world until you want to hide it from the world. You know, like private stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Not that it's it's bad or good or what. Just it's just private. Yeah, it's private. You know, there's there's no reason for that. But the centralization of it is what scares me. The the big tech companies having that kind of power. That's why you gotta go open source, man. You gotta go Susie. That's right. Susie, play the change log. I like yeah. that. So, so Susie, one of the projects, but I believe there are also uh, many other open source AI projects out there. Yeah. So people have shared the same opinion. They don't want to be controlled by a few players in the market. Yeah. Uh, so I will go here to try to, uh, to grow the ecosystem. So everyone can have the freedom to do what uh, he, she or he likes to do. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so last, last question here. Imagine a developer, she lives in the middle of the United States and she's listening to this conversation because she likes podcasts and she has a Susie so she said Susie play the changelog she's she's intrigued by FOSS Asia what's like the best way to get plugged into that community uh, the best way is so you can uh, if you are a developer all our development happened on GitHub. Okay. There's a Force Asia org on GitHub and all the communication happened on GitHub. Uh, the Force Asia Twitter channel. So okay. every single project we have uh, uh, its own Twitter channels and a mailing list. So it's very easy to get involved wow. as a developer. That's awesome. Yeah, but we also try to build uh, an inclusive community. So with uh, so, so I believe that the success of one project it doesn't only rely on developers. So we need all kind of contributors. Yeah. So we need users. We need uh, uh, marketer. We need people who can go out and write the content to do documentation. So if you are interested in uh, getting involved there's several ways that you can uh, collaborate with us okay yeah awesome anything else uh, you'd like to talk about before we let you go uh, uh, I, 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 I don't know <laughs> I don't know what else. You have a pretty cool badge that uh, has a scrolling marquee uh, that yeah, says so, so, Asia. So this is also another hardware project that we've been working on. It's called the Batch Magic. Uh, you can also find the application on Android or Android. Uh, the code entirely open source, again, on the Force Asia GitHub. Wow, and, uh, so much we, cool stuff. Yes, and we hope to, to release the Camatic for the hardware in the upcoming months. Yeah. Mind blown. What's the what's the org on GitHub? F O S S A S I A Foz Asia. Yes, that okay. is correct. Cool. So github.com slash F O S S A S I A. Needs it. will be in the show notes, y'all. In the show notes. Want to say it out loud? Hong, what's the best way for people to contact you directly? They like to. So you can search for me HP Dang on the internet. You can find all my contact. HP D A N G. Gotcha. Thanks for so much for sitting down with us. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome, Mom. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Changelog. Hey, guess what? We have discussions on every single episode now. So head to changelog.com to discuss this episode. And if you want to help us grow this show, reach more listeners, and influence more developers, do us a favor and give us a rating or review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you use Overcast, give us a star. If you tweet, tweet a link. If you make lists of your favorite podcasts, include us in it. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth 
Partner, Rollbar, our monitoring service, and Linode, our cloud server of choice. This episode is hosted by myself, Adam Stukoviak, and Jared Santo, and our music is done by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to our master feed at changelog.com master, or go into your podcast app and search for Changelog Master. You'll find it. Thank you for tuning in this week. We'll see you again soon.